I was in Paris at the train station at Gare du Nord, and I saw this impressive display, which I came to understand as a split flap display that I just found mesmerizing at the time. And I remember thinking, you know, it'd be cool if I built this for my kids at home and I could send messages to it while I was traveling. The sound and movement of a split flap display mesmerizes us like few things can. There's a charm to these things. Travelers linger in front of them in train stations anticipating new info. They're happy to stick around to watch the magic. Dorian Porter's encounter with a split flap display in Paris inspired a product idea that would later turn into a company, Vestaboard. In our interview with Dorian, we learn about the arc of his career, from corporate lawyer to serial entrepreneur, co-founding two software companies before taking on the new challenge of a company making a sophisticated hardware product. We talk about what inspired him to create Vestaboard, as well as their mission and vision, and how people are using the product in unique ways, both at home and in the office. This is a sponsored bonus episode that we're excited to share with you, as Vestaboard is a brand that we love. Their mission is to inspire and connect people, and it resonates with us, and we think it will with you too. Design Better listeners can save $200 off one of these magical displays from Vestaboard. Visit vestaboard.com and use the code DESIGNBETTER at checkout to save $200 off your purchase of your Vestaboard. Dorian Porter, welcome to the Design Better podcast. Thanks for having me. We are excited. I've actually have a Vestaboard behind me, and I'm going to just send a little welcome message here. I love that sound. (laughs) It doesn't get old. (laughs) For those of you who aren't familiar, definitely you'll see this on the show episode notes page. But Dorian is the founder of Vestaboard. It's this fantastic product. Happen to have one behind me here. And before we dive into that, though, I thought it would be interesting to just talk about your journey and how you got here. You started out as a corporate attorney, and I think a lot of people will probably scratch their heads, like, how'd you get to where you are now from being an attorney? And maybe there's a back history that helps us get there, but that could be a place to start. So yeah, walk us through your journey to get into Vestaboard. It probably doesn't start as an attorney. It probably starts as a, a high school kid who didn't know what he wanted to do. I think I probably dabbled in lots of different things in high school and I somehow intuitively knew I was going to go to university, but I'm not sure how because neither of my parents went to university (laughs) and nor did my older brother. But I ended up in first year university studying political science and public policy at the University of Ottawa, where I was a page in the House of Commons in Canada in my first year. And then I ended up working for member of parliament and working for the prime minister's office in way back in 1993, when the first female prime minister of Canada was nominated and took over before a general election. And somehow thinking way back then, like I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was kind of dabbling in that little area. (laughs) And then I'd been told I should consider law school at some point. I ended up doing a JD MBA degree, a law degree and a business degree at the University of Toronto. And, you know, I really was a high school kid and a university kid who didn't know anything. Like I didn't know that when you went to law school in a big city like Toronto, just like you would in New York or San Francisco, that all these law firms show up to buy you chicken wings and beer and tell you that you should go work in these big office buildings downtown. 
And so just even learning about corporate law and doing the business degree was in of itself just an exercise in trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Once you're in law school, you kind of get a job. After law school, you work at a big firm. I did that for a year. And then I was really attracted to the explosion of the internet during my business and law degree and kind of what the internet would mean for society, for business. It, it definitely seemed very transformational. And so from my law office as a first year in Vancouver, I applied down to a law firm in Palo Alto called Wilson, Sonsini, Goodrich and Rosati and took a job there for a year. And that was right in the heart of the dot-com explosion. So 1999, 2000, just a massive amount. Of, I don't know if you could call it innovation then, but an explosion of something around the internet that was happening with everything that was going on. And that's when I decided I met two other folks. And I think many other people started a company right around that 99, 2000. And I started my first company in March of 2000, which was a software-based B2B e-commerce platform of all things. Started then with a couple of others with expertise. And so, you know, I think I always had a dash of independence and entrepreneurship in me. And so, you know, it wasn't a major leap as I went through, whether it was the undergrad or JD MBA, to think about starting a business, doing something entrepreneurial. And so I think I felt I had to try corporate law because that was an exchange for all those chicken wings and beer, I guess. But I think I knew intuitively that I wasn't going to last as a lawyer. So take us further. How did you become interested in product design? So I started two companies before Vestaboard. The first one was a B2B e-commerce platform that was really a SaaS platform that we sold to universities and colleges. And we did all the right and wrong things. And, you know, we hired a seasoned executive team. In 2002, I became CEO and sold the business mostly because we had to. And then I stayed with that business and grew it out to double-digit million SaaS revenue over the next few years. And then I started another SaaS platform in the mobile marketing space. That business was about six years. We ended up selling it. I kind of described that business as an entrepreneur as two steps forward, one kick in the stomach back. It was a mobile marketing platform, essentially a SaaS mobile marketing platform <laughs> in an age where iPhone was obviously becoming everything and the mobile ad networks were developing and we were kind of caught in the middle. So we grew revenue successfully, but not very fast. We'd raised venture capital, and so I, we ended up selling the business in 2013, January 2013. So that was two companies. You know, the university one still got major universities using that platform. So built these two companies and, you know, really had to think about, okay, am I going to build something else? And that second company had an interactive mobile component. You know, we had every Live Nation in the venue, if you used your mobile phone with a screen in a Live Nation venue, so you go to a Taylor Swift show back then, our software was powering that interactivity with mobile to screen. So I think probably easy to recognize that with Vestaboard, which implies a display and being able to control it with your phone, that was kind of an extension of that second company, if you will. And in 2012, so before we'd officially moved on from that company or I'd moved on from that company, I was in Paris at the train station at Gare du Nord and I saw this impressive display <laughs> which I came to understand as a split flap display that I just found mesmerizing at the time. And I remember thinking at the time in that train station, oh, it'd be cool if I built this for my kids at home and I could send messages to it while I was traveling. And so as I thought about what I was going to do next in 2013, I think this idea just stuck with me. It was like, okay, there's something cool about that. 
And as I got to 2050, it took a couple of years that I decided to start a third company. And I was very intrigued by this concept. And I would show it to a few friends or a few people I knew, and they'd all say, that'd be really cool. And then a bunch of people said, you'd be totally crazy to try to build that and build a company out of it. And I kept thinking, oh, there's something here because, you know, I found it mesmerizing and it was the first time I had seen a split flap display. So it wasn't like I was recalling my days backpacking Europe in 1965. And wouldn't it be nice to relive those days with something in my home? I genuinely was kind of mesmerized by how it operated and got a spark of a vision that there could be some product that sits in a home or an office or a workplace or a restaurant that does a similar thing. And so after a couple of years of thinking about it, I decided to finally go for it. And I think that was more entrepreneurial than product design. I knew we needed to have a great design. I knew I wasn't the one to be the key designer of the product. I had a concept and I could show you a very rudimentary video of that concept. That's pretty funny, but it was obviously going to take a lot more than me to actually get something done if there was going to be a product worth selling. What do you think it is about split flap displays that is so mesmerizing? Because it's not just you. It's everybody who looks at a split flap display. That sound, the vibration, it's sort of hard to put your finger on what makes that over so many other things just so mesmerizing. So Vestaboard itself has 8,448 flaps. So it's 132 modules, 64 characters each. So those 8,448 characters are what gets spun every time you send a message and it needs to change. And I think any spinning mechanism is amazing. Like, you know, we could watch a spinning top and play with that while we're talking to each other. You know, the movement is in itself mesmerizing. And then on top of that, with a split flap, whether you have a clock that was the original split flap way back in 1905, or whether you have a display, a messaging display like a Vesta board, you get this payoff with it, which is once it's done doing its thing, it, it gives you some bit of information or news or or laugh that you didn't have before. So I think the combination of those two seems to be really powerful. And, you know, as long as it's not going to last forever and keep you standing there for too long, it is just mesmerizing to watch and then you get this payoff. And I think there's that that I would say is interesting. And I think there's two things I was thinking about as to why it would be worth starting this company, because a lot of people, and I think they're right, they say, well, this was kind of an obvious idea. You know, why didn't anyone build a split flap for the home. And I think part of it is because obviously has a retro feel because it's got, you know, a little throwback to how the messaging used to work. But I also thought that the fact that I found it mesmerizing in of itself, and if you were standing next to a 12-year-old or an 8-year-old, you showed them, they find it mesmerizing too. (laughs) And I thought that was being overlooked for this quote-unquote technology. I thought that the idea is, yes, we've moved on in train stations to be more digital, But in of itself, it carried that mesmerizing quality, which I thought was really important to actually build a company around as opposed to just an old retro idea. And then secondly, when you looked at the cost of manufacturing and the internet and the mobile phone, and you think about the second company we operated, which was interactive with a mobile phone and a screen, all of that is relatively new in the last two factors. Number one, the software, the web, and the mobile phone to actually make it something fun and easy to control is relatively new. So it's not like you really could have pulled off this in the 90s and made it that fun because, you know, who wants to go and stand by the display and program it each time you need to. So the whole idea that you can control a display from anywhere became kind of exciting and, you know, mapped to what I'd done before, but just 
that idea of being in Paris and sending a message to my kids is pretty cool interactively. And then it, when you looked on the hardware side, there's just a whole bunch of falling costs in the favor of building something. You know, we get still a lot of trouble for the price of this product. But once you dig into it and you understand that it's over 14,000 parts and 2,000 electronic parts, 8,448 beautifully printed flaps, people start to say, okay, I can see why it costs as much because we really took a half million dollar concept and we took it down to like $3,000. And that was something that probably couldn't have happened in the 90s or the 80s or the, you know, even the early 2000s. So there were a few factors about this split flap display in particular that I thought were kind of in our favor to actually build a product and a company around. All right. I've been kind of fascinated with these for a long time. I actually thought about building my own, you know, I have a product design background, but digging into it, I realized this is not a weekend project. This is like a month long <laughs> project. Yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of time at Stanford campus teaching and I often end up down at the business school because they have like subsidized sushi at the cafeteria essentially. You can get a decent lunch there for not too much, but they have a wonderful, huge split flap art piece there, which is which is really cool. And I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned when you first had the idea, you're talking to people and they're like, oh, this is crazy. But I, I'm kind of curious if, did you understand the challenges that you're going to get yourself into? Because I've spent time in both physical products and digital products and the challenges are very different. You know, there's some things, some underlying things that are similar, but with a product that you actually have to put together and ship. And like you mentioned, you got this giant bomb with thousands of parts, bomb is a bill of materials and just like managing that and managing the vendors and inevitable delays and supply chain. Did any of that stuff, did you know about any of that going into it or was it kind of a learning process as you started the company? Uh, it was entirely a learning process for me. And like most things, and you know, we're still trying to build this company, but like most things, it took a lot of luck and serendipity to actually get to where we were. You know, I'm sure Sure, someone could have built it faster, better, maybe cheaper. I don't know about that, but you know, than we did. We took three and a half years of R and D, and then it took us probably just as we were approaching COVID, took us another year to get it into manufacturing and fully through the design for manufacturing phase before we were even building our EVT, our engineering validation tested versions of the hardware. So it was a long journey not knowing what we were in for. It takes an optimist to be an entrepreneur. And so I was definitely the optimist. One of our key designers, product designers, mechanical engineer, who's still involved in the company, she was instrumental to building um, Vestaboard with us was Faiza Hassan. And, you know, she likes to tell the story that she would show me something and I would get really excited. It could be the, you know, the worst version of a prototype and I would get really excited. And she would just be thinking of all the things that easily will go wrong as we continue to go down the process. But I think I kept pushing us through with my optimism and excitement. And so the answer is I wasn't fully aware. I don't know if you were fully aware, honestly, if you would do this project. <laughs> and, you know, we just did get really lucky with the people we worked with and the understanding that it took, the expertise. I definitely didn't shy away from hiring people with expertise. You mentioned Fred Bold as someone that worked on the project. He was the key industrial designer involved and, you know, was instrumental in making it as beautiful and as user-friendly and just a wonderful object in my view. And, you know, working with him and FISA, and then we got, I'll just say, really lucky with the person who's now works out of our Asian operations, who was one of my first hires, just a young guy. He was 26 years old when I hired him, but he has been in China the last four years working with the factory to get these, you know, shipped out. And, no surprise. It just took a team of people that had diligence, you know, no ego, working away, trying to figure out the best design. 
and kind of one of the most, I guess, interesting, you know, I don't know if it's rewarding or if it's frustrating, but the most interesting things about it is once I really should have the bit, we call the character unit the bit. So Vestaboard is modular, has 132 character units. Each of those is self-contained as a bit. We call it a bit. And they're swappable. So, you know, if you wanted to change places, it could, and it would just take up its role in the other place. And making that bit was the first priority and trying to make something small enough and economical enough, you know, that was the mission for almost two years. I show it to people now and it's almost like, well, of course that's how you would design it, like obviously. But during that process, we had no vision at all for that final design. I mean, we used some steel parts to begin with and some other, you know, things and we put a motor on the outside and somehow that motor worked its way on into the inside of the wheel, which seems so obvious in retrospect. But putting a motor inside a wheel is not just something you go and find elsewhere very often. So these are all things that were just fascinating parts of the process to me and exciting, but very much dependent on a team of experts to get us to where we wanted to be. Tell us a bit about how people are using it in unique ways at home, work, maybe ways that you just had not expected it would be used. Just for some context for everyone, we've now shipped over 10,000 units. I think we announced that in November. So over the last three years, we've been shipping for three years, December of 2020 to December of 2023, shipped over 10,000 units. 60% of those units, as far as we can tell, are going into homes and 40% are going into businesses. I love the home use case. That's why I created the product. It's $3,000. So by its nature, we're limited in the number of homes we can reach. And I wish that was different for a lot of reasons, but it is. And so, you know, I think the use case I still get most excited about is the more manual use case. You know, Vestaboard integrates into a lot of different apps now, and you can show what music is playing, and you can have real-time sports scores and news and weather. And we put that all under a service called Vestaboard Plus. You know, I wish it was generally true for everyone. It's not, but there is something that can be quite ritualistic about Vestaboard. I have one customer who calls it his daily ritual to put a message on Vestaboard for his children each morning. And he's not that interested at all with the sports scores and the real-time info and things like that that we can offer. He's interested in the ritual of changing up the day for his children each morning and running through that. And we've got you know, I'm guessing about 15 to 20% of our customers who really see it that way. I think that probably ties closest to the original purpose and mission of the company in the sense that, you know, this idea that I could message my children from afar, I did put some quotes on their walls, you know, as kids, you know, I'd write quotes and put them up on their walls. And this idea that I could just make that impact, you know, from any, anywhere where I was or whether I was home or not, et cetera, was very fascinating to me. So, that idea is still very, I think, important to keep hold of because, you know, once you start adding all the automations and it can do X and Y and it can run all the time, you know, it starts to move it more into the category of kind of the devices we're all used to that you can get anything you want now at any time and it notifies you a hundred times different ways to Sunday and all of that. And I think because of the physical limitations of Vestaboard and I think if you tie it to some thoughtful activities there's just something good to remind us why physical is important, why contemplation is important, you know, what's going to go on the Vesta board, not just what's going to run through it every minute or every five minutes or every hour. So I would still say that those are my favorite and 
turns out to be more unusual use cases because, you know, we do have really good software that does all the interactions that you can imagine. And we, we have customers who want us to do more and we do more and it's really great. On the business side, you know, it's what you would expect. I think, by the way, you know, a lot of people say you should just go focus on business. It's an expensive product. Just go, you know, make a business product. Got longer term strategic reasons why I don't quite want to do that. But one of the things I thought about when starting the company was there's a really good business use case for signage. And so, you know, we do see it adopted in coffee shops as menus and in hotels as welcoming the guests or something at check-in or letting people know what events are going on scheduling. So markets like hospitality and office markets where signage is important, you know, you, you walk around any office, you're going to see lots of signage. Churches, healthcare offices, doctor's offices, these all have applicability for best board. And I'd say from a business perspective, knowing that was important to starting the company as well, because, you know, if you're going to go create this fantastical thing in your own mind, you want to make sure there's going to be a market to back it up. So we see use cases in both, and I'm still mostly enamored with the home use case. And I think, you know, developers, we have a free API that operates from our cloud, and then we have a local API that operates from the device itself. So either very serious enterprise customers who don't want to see it touch the cloud or developers who are building proprietary smart home applications or just enjoy working with the device locally on their own network as opposed to through the internet can program things. And, you know, that's where we see people doing interesting things with their Vesta board, whether they're tracking specific metrics that they have internally. You know, a lot of people combine our color tiles with information sources to make some beautiful color representations of data. I think those are the really interesting kinds of things you can do with Board that I think we'll see more and more of, including in our own applications as that develops. I've been really having a great time just playing with mine, and I'm excited to try the API. One, one of the neat things right now, too, is this convergence between AI enabling folks like me. I'm not a developer, but I can dabble a bit, and I can use AI to help me like you know, maybe interact with your API and making some of those things more accessible to other folks. Wanted to talk a little bit about something that you mentioned about this idea of being present and you know this sort of physical connection to product and maybe looking away from screens or getting your family. In my case, I also have two younger kids, getting them off screens to observe and reflect. How does that kind of dovetail with your mission and your vision for the company right now? You know, when you have such a specific product, you obviously want to find a greater purpose than just putting that product into market. It's going to help shape kind of how the company endures over the long term. Currently, uh, we describe it fairly simply, which is to build, and we've only built the one product and the software that goes with it, but to build products that can help our customers inspire others. And I think that goes back to our my origin story of like just wanting to inspire my kids rather than sending them a text message with the Vesta board. When I look at that opportunity, it does seem rather large. Like if you can make that your mission and your purpose, you know, and you think about, and it, it happens in my household, you know, I was being interviewed not too long ago and being asked like, well, you must not have devices in your household. <laughs> I've got three children, you know, 20, 18, one's at university, 18 year old, 14 year old. They're no strangers to their phones. I'm no stranger to my phone and trying to build this business. My wife, she's a registered nurse. She's tired. She's no stranger to her phone. So, you know, we clearly live in this world that is dominated by this digital tech and it doesn't seem to be lightening up. And yet we all know there's something wrong happening. I think 
I just think that's true. I'm not one to say that we shouldn't put on the goggles and go enjoy a good game if that exists. I'm yet to put on the goggles, by the way, the AR goggles, but one day I will. And I'm not to say that that's wrong or anything like that, but there's just something important about our human and in-person relationships that we shouldn't let go of. And so when I think about future products, to the extent we can continue to build out the market for Vestaboard's flagship product, which is black and now comes in Vestaboard white, it's heavy on the mind and, and roadmap actively being discussed, discussed this morning in a meeting about what we're going to do next from a product perspective. I think it's very valuable and promising for us to keep in mind that if we can build something that can help inspire others, help establish that connection, I think that's a very, very powerful path for us to go down. I think we do have a lot of customer stories come back to us about Vestaboard being a conversation piece in their home. You know, they talk about a message that comes up. Last night, I was in the room with my family, the entire family, not my daughter at university, but the four of us. And on the Vesta board, I just walked into the house, but on the Vesta board was the score of a hockey game. And my son and I spent time talking about that hockey game because it was right there present with us. And there's just something that I thought of last night that was just kind of neat about that, that it served as this little prompt. And it's really a little prompt because it probably changed 15 minutes before and hadn't changed for a while before that during the day. So I don't know, there's something neat when we think about our roadmap as to how we could keep on that focus of bringing something that can inspire and serve as a prompt to the physical world and not just an all-consuming digital pathway. There's something about it that reminds me of the clock at the burrow at the Weasley's house in Harry Potter. Uh, Do you know about yeah. that clock? You know, I need to know about that clock because you were not the first person to say that. And I, amazingly, I read a lot to my children, but my wife read all the Harry Potter books to the children. So I get to read or even watch those movies. So I need to, I shouldn't even admit that, but it's true. And I should know more about that clock. You're in for a treat, I can tell you. But the clock, as you probably already know, some listeners may not, though, it's kind of a magical representation of where the members of the family are in the world. And so they can see when someone's you know, far away, are they in trouble, are they on their way home? It serves as this sort of like warm reminder of the family unit, this connector, which is really powerful and wonderful. Yeah, I can see, I mean, when you say that, for sure. And, and I can see, you know, I often think about how everything has now gone into this device. You know, the whole world exists inside of this device. And so over the last 30 years, we've gone through that phase where we've taken and still taking everything and putting it inside that device. And to some extent, there could be an explosion of an opportunity to take some of that stuff back outside of the device in an even better way and with more information that we had before. So that's good. But could you expand that out to other physical representations like you just talked about? And I think that could be a really interesting area is that now enhanced information and enhanced data gets taken into the physical products. My wife pointed something out to me over the weekend that I found she was totally right and it kind of shook me to the core. She said, we don't do anything together, you know, because everyone's got their own AirPods, their own screen, their own interests, their own thing. 
So like when I was a kid growing up, there was one TV and there were three channels. And so if there was a show on, you had to come together because there was just the one thing shared. Now there's really not anything shared. There's not a shared story that we're experiencing together. It's all kind of separate. Vestiboard is a shared display. The Weasley's clock, it is a shared understanding, like physical space that you see where people are. It feels like we need more of that, spaces that are shared. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right on point to where it could and should go. I mean, humans are humans to some degree, right? And so you have to be honest about the products that can do that and why they should do that. I have no doubt that some percentage of our customers haven't had a water cooler moment with Vestiboard. <laughs> and so trying to figure out the products that could actually truly do that, like for some reason, and we all acknowledge it as amazing, the iPhone has created this human desire, good or bad desire, to spend more time on it <laughs> and to, you know, to stare at it and to interact. And potentially it's that craving for human connection that's driving it, but it's also leaving us a little bit empty too. And so trying to find products that could, you know, help marry those two. And I really like the idea of the shared experience. We've talked about shared messaging, you know, the phrase shared messaging might even be on our website in addition to, or instead of, but in addition to inspiration, I think this idea of shared experiences can be a really powerful rail on which to build future products as well. And I've seen, you know, a lot in the market too. I think there are entrepreneurs building some interesting little IoT things that are starting to connect the dots on physical experiences and shared experiences. We just had a message this morning in from someone who wanted to buy Vestaboard for a partner who she lives in Singapore, he lives in LA. And I've seen other products about these long distance relationships and using the physical part to bridge it. So I think there's just going to be a lot of opportunity, not just for Vestaboard and our product roadmap, but for entrepreneurs in general and tapping into things like shared experiences. We've been fortunate in the class I teach to have Johnny Ive come in a couple times. The most recent time, he was actually quite vulnerable about what he feels some responsibility around the creation of this device that really separates people from each other. It really, you know, like Aaron says, and it happens in our family too, as much as we try to prevent it, people being on their own screen, just being not interacting. And you obviously see it if you're out in the any kind of public transportation or out in the street, people are glued to their devices, not talking to each other. So yeah, I think this idea of finding ways for things, bringing that back somehow, not discarding obviously what we've done with our technology because it's not probably feasible at this point, but finding alternate ways for people to come together seems pretty important at this point. Yeah, and there's lots to consider in trying to design for that product, you know, how you do it. Like, so for example, I can think of a small shortcoming for our current product that we're thinking about, which is when you want that shared experience, you talk about a long distance relationship and you send a message to it. Part of that's only one way, right? So if I send you a message to your office right now, or let's say we're not on the video at the time and you get it, well, that might be a great moment for you, but it may not be a satisfying moment for me unless I know you got it. Because, you know, it just kind of was a digital message that I sent out into the ether. And so I think in the product design category, those are some of the things that you would have to consider about, you know, if you're going to build other products in this area, whether it's us or anyone else, how do you truly create moments 
that can be meaningful and, you know, ideally help people be present, help people think of each other and factor in some of these ideas about technology for those good purposes in ways that aren't all consuming. And I mean, I think that's the writing on the wall though, for sure, is that, you know, just like you said, for your family, it's true for my family, guaranteed true for most of the listeners. There's an individualism going on that just doesn't sit right with the mobile phone. Can you tell us about this recent award that you received? Fast Company recognized Vestaboard as one of the most innovative companies to work at in 2023. Yeah, it was a great list. So they, they're pretty well known, I guess, for putting that list together of the most innovative companies in the world. Most exciting to me was that we were on the consumer products list, which was just 10 companies, pretty much all of the names you would recognize, plus a little company called Vestaboard. So there was mobile, D-Mobile and Apple and LG, Steam Deck, and a few other companies that you would recognize and Vestaboard. So we were thrilled to be part of it. It happened in May. And we, of course, touted that a few times in our own marketing. And, you know, actually, if you go to the feed when we posted it on our, <laughs> this is where I get bristly a little bit, but we posted it on our Instagram feed when we won. And one of the customers who had waited for four years for this product decided to say, you can go read this, I think, unless, unless it was hidden by social media team or something. But he said something to the effect of like, well, okay, it's, it's cool and I'm glad you did it, but it's not that innovative. It was, you know, it was invented a long time before you. <laughs> and I bristle a little because it's like, okay, I didn't just steal the idea, <laughs> like create this thing. <laughs> and it was just waiting to be copied. You know, we in fact never looked at the Solari display ever. I've never seen one in person. I know they're bigger. And I know they each sell for $300 as a single module on eBay, but I've never looked at it. We never looked at it as a team and never did it. We knew fundamentally, and people would say to me, well, you should go talk to them and they'll make it for you. And then you just resell it. And I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be so fundamentally different to try to get something for home and office. We really have to build it from scratch. And so there was a lot of innovation. Vestaboard has five patents to it, issued patents because of how we designed in the motor and how we designed in the stopper and different things that we had to do, whether for design or manufacturing reasons, to get it built. So I might have responded to that comment. But one of the neat things about the split flap, it was invented you know, way back in 1903 by a guy named Eugene Fitch. And it was a American invention. So that was a patent in the US and it was a clock and it was called the Plato clock. And the split flaps in that case spun horizontally, not vertically, kind of to do the numbers is every time a time ticked, it would split flap the number to the next number. And then the company Solari came along, I think in the 20s or so, and by the 40s or 50s had started to build momentum in the whole split flap display arena. But it was a harrowing journey of product design to build what we did. And I think combine it with the internet and mobile. And I am proud of its innovation in terms of what was accomplished with it, but also acknowledge that it was inspired by the shoulders or path of giants uh, or others before us. It wasn't obviously a unique concept and was inspired directly from when I saw the large one in Paris in 2012. Can you talk a little bit about what might be next for Vestaboard? You know, I think a lot of our roadmap is probably got a choice to it and, you know, probably shouldn't choose both, but there's probably more that you could do with the split flap. So we have this character module 
that we've invested a lot of R&D with and many makers and others, educators have asked, you know, would we sell a smaller version or would we sell the bit itself and people could create things with it and things like that. So that is something that we do contemplate potentially doing. I do think that the opportunity around shared messaging, as we just talked about, is interesting. And, you know, we have 132 characters. We had a constraint just even financially. I mean, even with 132, it became expensive as a product. What we see with our mobile app, you know, which is quite comprehensive, the mobile app for free, you can send messages, you can favorite messages, you can add other friends to use your Vestaboard or family and do a lot of things with it. We put in a lot of today's picks or daily things you can send to your Vestaboard. And then we have Vestaboard Plus, which is the automations I've mentioned a few times. So being able to build and cycle through content or tying it to other third-party applications like Slack or Google Calendar or Sports Scores or what's playing on your Sonos or your Spotify or Apple Music. These are all really fun applications. So we've had a lot of fun building the software, which ties more into my background beyond the physical piece. But because of the constraint, it's really fascinating to observe my own self and observe customers and seeing all of that content that flows through Vestaboard and the types of content they enjoy. And we do wrap ourselves a little bit around inspiration because who doesn't need a motivational quote now and then? This type of content, I think, is really interesting. And I even find myself, because I get every NHL score that finishes in the league on my Vestaboard, and because I'm never by my Vestaboard 24-7, I have found myself going into the app in the evening to check who won a certain game. So I think what we have with Vestaboard is content that matters, content that can be inspiring. And because it has those two filters on it, it's not a ton of content. It's not like the phone that has everything on it. And I think there's a lot of potential to take that content into future products that we might be able to offer. And I don't know in that scenario whether we need to feel as constrained by the split flap. I don't know that we would get into quite the amazingness of that clock from Harry Potter, but I do think the underlying content has really good potential in being manifested in other forms of product. I think the criteria I would also add for us is we want to make it somewhat magical. You know, we don't want to just come out and say, hey, now you can do whatever you want, like a Vestaboard on a digital screen that, you know, looks like your computer monitor. I think we have a higher bar than that in terms of the type of roadmap products we would want to create. But I do think there is something neat that's emerging from our customer base with the use of content and the content that's turning out to be inspiring or important or things that matter. And I think that that's how we'll have a big influence on our roadmap in the coming years. Will you ever create emoji bits? Well, that goes to that first part. Are we going to ever do maybe some individual bids? I think we're getting close to be ready to do some either custom and or, you know, alternatives. 10,000 Vesta boards on a product that costs what it is, I think is relatively good for a three-year-old company that's been shipping products. I think we're doing well on sales, but we're not unlimitedly scaling our sales in a way that just allows us to do whatever innovations we want next. And so every decision needs to be thoughtful and try to figure out, okay, what would be the true market? We definitely hear requests for custom character units and things like that. And we definitely are interested in doing that. And we're getting closer and closer and just trying to make the right decisions. You know, next year for us is really making sure we can grow and scale the flagship product even one more year 
to really get it on a, I think what we would consider a stable footing with stable cost of acquisition and a growth plan that looks really achievable for the flagship product. One of the things I love about the flagship product, and I owe Fred Bold a lot for this, is I do feel it carries a timeless design. And so our hope is that it's not something we have to innovate around too much in terms of like, oh, well, the next version needs to look like this and the next version like needs to like this. It seems to have satisfied a need that it can fit in really different spaces, which is really cool. I mean, I've seen it in so many diverse spaces, like beautiful modern homes to a really hardcore industrial space with like behind the milling machine. Like it's amazing in that versatility. And so that's something I'm just so grateful for Fred and the entire team to have created because that gives us a viable opportunity to have a stable product of part of our business and then gives us that flexibility to go into maybe some more exciting areas like, you know, hey, can we respond to customers who want custom colors or bits or things like that. I think we are getting close to that point. Fantastic. Well, Dorian, I want to thank you for being on the show and I'll pop it up on the Vesta board too. Let's see all the way here. So once the Vesta board finishes, as it should here, where can folks learn more about Vesta board? You can always go to our website at vestaboard.com. Hopefully a lot of great information there. And my first name at the same domain is my email, and anyone is welcome to ask me questions or reach out at any time. Thank you. It's such a fun product. Thanks so much for taking the time with us. Design Better listeners can save $200 off one of these magical displays from Vestaboard. Visit vestaboard.com and use the code DESIGNBETTER at checkout to save $200 off your purchase of your Vestaboard. Eli and I love producing this podcast, but sometimes we find ourselves wondering, what sort of feedback does our audience have? How could we improve the show? Maybe you could help us by taking just a couple minutes to complete a survey, answering a few questions about your thoughts about the show, sharing your feedback, and telling us a little bit about you. To take the survey, just go to dbtr.co survey. That's dbtr.co slash survey. Our thanks in advance for completing the survey. It'll really help us improve the show. This episode was produced by Eli Woolery and me, Aaron Walter, with engineering and production support from Brian Paik of Pacific Audio. If you found this episode useful, we hope that you'll leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to finer shows. Or simply drop a link to the show in your team Slack channel, designbetterpodcast.com. It'll really help others discover the show. Until next time.